following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right, good morning. Glad, we are glad you are here. We'll be looking this morning in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Uh, if you are with us last Sunday, you know we were uh, looking at... Uh, the section of the Sermon on the Mount dealing with um, showing off our righteousness before others. And in the midst of this passage, there is the section on the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to focus on that this morning, on, uh, on how we should pray. Or as I titled it, pray like this, Jesus says. So let's read, uh, to get, uh, if you'll follow with me as we read chapter 6 of Matthew, verses 5 through 15. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who, uh, who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We all know that uh, prayer is one of the basic disciplines of the Christian life and something we're supposed to do. Um, And and I want to ask you to raise your hand, but I will ask the question just to think about how many of you feel like you really get prayer or that prayer in your life is everything you you think it should be or want it to be? I know for me, it's it's usually not, right? And there are some big gaps in prayer and some things I, I misunderstand and certainly... I don't feel like I uh, pray as much as I should. Um, but, and one of the problems Jesus highlights in this very verse, in this very passage, he says, uh, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And if we have much theology at all, if we have much understanding of God and who He is and His sovereignty, that He knows everything, we quickly, quickly come to this realization that, yeah, that's right, God knows what we need. And so there's a sense of, well, why, why do I need to ask then? Right? Why do I need to tell God what he already knows? And uh, so, uh, so we, we have these questions about what, what is prayer? How does it work? What does it mean? <clears throat> and how are we to do it? If God already knows everything about us and already has a plan and a purpose and a will, um, what, what's the role or purpose of prayer? Well, in this passage, Jesus gives a model prayer uh, this prayer was not given necessarily to recite uh, verbatim on Sunday mornings as part of worship. Some churches do that. And it's not a bad thing. 
But but he gives here really an, an outline. Um, if if uh, you know, Jesus had given it in in, in modern times, this would be, this would come with bullet points. Right? This is a very short phrase. These are not long sentences. It's you know, uh, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your these are bullet points, right? And it's intended to be a form or a format, an outline for us to follow in prayer. That's its function or purpose. Um, and so, uh, so th- this, this passage gives us a, some great instructions on how we are to pray. But more than that, it really, as we, as we look at it, evaluate what Jesus instructs us here, it, it tells us what prayer is really all about. And I think uh, that there's, you could probably preach ten different sermons from this uh, Lord's Prayer. Uh, I can only pick one. Uh, so what I, what I want to look at this morning is uh, this answer to this question, really, what is prayer? How does prayer work in our life? What's its purpose or goal? It's not to explain to God things he already knows. But then what is it? Well, I think prayer is, is, a th- is three things or four things, maybe. Prayer is how we relate to God. Prayer is how we keep the right priorities before God. Prayer is how we check our attitude about our life and about our relationship with Him so that we can walk in the fullness of all that God has for us. Uh, Prayer is not pointless. Prayer does produce in us significant benefits, uh, but maybe not quite the way we think. And what we think of in terms of as well, I need this and I need that and I need that. And if I pray, God will give me what I want. Uh, There's a little bit of truth in that, but it's misunderstanding the main point. Uh, prayer is, is important and vital in our life so that we can experience all the fullness of things that God has for us. Things like joy and peace and uh, assurance about our life. So how does prayer do that? How does prayer accomplish that purpose in our life? Well, let's see what, uh, what Jesus has to say. Um, and and uh, he starts off the prayer with these simple words, Our Father in heaven. Uh, our Father in heaven. When he, when he talks about the hypocrites and, and the pagans, uh, he references uh, our Father. He says, don't pray like the hypocrites do, who do it publicly to be seen, but pray in secret where your Father, who is in secret, will see you and hear. Don't be like the pagans who, who use empty phrases and pile up many, many words thinking that they will convince God what they need. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need. Uh, prayer is how we relate to God. And it defines and spells out the, the nature or basis of that relationship. Uh, the problem with the hypocrite and the pagan is this. The hypocrite does not understand the depth of his great need for God. But he's praying on the street corners trying to get glory and credit for himself. For him, prayer is not a cry of his desperate need for God. What's interesting is actually the pagans got it more right. I think Jesus would say, if I was to compare the hypocrites and the pagans, the pagans are more understanding of prayer because they know that they need help. Their prayer is a cry to God for help. The problem with them is that they don't understand the generous and gracious heart of God as a loving Father. They think God is somebody to be manipulated. And that by wearing God out with repeated phrases and empty words, that God will cave into them. Right, they don't understand the nature of the God they're praying to. And so Jesus starts this prayer with this 
the simple, incredible statement, our Father in Heaven. Our Father in Heaven. Prayer is ultimately coming to uh, our Father, drawing near and meeting this personal God who is a loving Father who has made us His children. Um, there's a whole sermon right there. Okay, and I could just go, I could spend the whole next half hour talking about that, but I won't. But, but let me just say that how is it we became to be the children of God? God is, he's not talking here about the general sense in which God is the Father of all creation. He's talking about a very specific sense in which we are His children through the redemptive work of Jesus. Ephesians says that in love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross and through His death, we are not only saved from our sin, but we are made children of God. And He is our Father. Uh, and therefore, we can come to this God confident that He cares deeply for us. We're not coming to a God who's uh, detached, who's distanced. We are coming to a, a Father who cares deeply and is super interested in the lives of His children. Now, I know for some, some of us, uh, some of you, uh, may have had not the greatest fathers. Maybe you've had a terrible experience with the Father and for you, these words just don't ring true. For you, a father was not somebody who was loving and caring, but maybe somebody who was cruel or mean or abusive. Uh, <clears throat> we need to understand that God is the perfect father of what every father should be. Where our fathers may have failed us, God does not. And perhaps we get a better picture of this when we become parents ourselves. Or when, when we dream about it, what it would be to be a parent. And how we would want to treat and care for our children. I love my kids, right? And, and uh, there's nothing my children can do to mess up my love for them. Now, when they were little, there were a lot of things they could do to drive me crazy, right? Uh, but it didn't change my heart and my love for them and, and my commitment to care for them and provide for them and protect them and do everything I could for their care. Well, if, if I as an earthly human father who's full of sin and flaws could do that for my children... Imagine what God's heart as a father is towards us. And I love that that's, uh, that's where we start in prayer. We start there. We come to a God who is our father and who loves us and cares for us. But he's not only that, he's a father who is in heaven. He's not an earthly father. He's a father who is in heaven. And uh, his position in heaven is not as the janitor or like as a, as a bellhop, right? He is the, the king of heaven. He's enthroned in heaven. So not only is our, is our father, but our father happens to be like super important, super powerful and full of all authority. So not only is God father, but he, uh, he is powerful and holy and majestic. He has the authority and power to work out all of his plans and to do whatever he wants to keep his promises, right? So, so this is an amazing place to start. We come to a God, and the big question in prayer is two things. One, does God want to help me? And, and maybe you feel like that. You go to prayer, and you're just not sure, like, uh, well, does God even care? Does God actually want to help me? Well, we know as a father, yes. God's heart, his desire is to help and to care and to, and to watch over us, to, to, to love us as a father. But the second question is, is God actually able to do anything about it? 
Like it would be one thing if he was a, a, a good and loving father, but powerless. Well, no, we know that he is a God of incredible power, of ultimate power. And therefore, we come to a place in prayer to a being, to a person, our Father, who has the heart and will to help us and the capacity and power to do everything necessary for us to succeed in life and to know Him. That's the starting point. And I believe prayer is first and foremost an understanding and an affirming of the kind of relationship we have with God. Right? That, that's, that's a great place to start in prayer. Probably the place we should start every time we come to Him in prayer. Who is this that I'm coming to? And, and so easily I forget. Uh, maybe you have this feeling like I often do that we come to God and we feel distant. We feel unworthy. And, and you hear this expression of like I pray and my prayers hit the ceiling and ban- bounce back and landed on me. right? And we feel like prayer doesn't work because I'm no good. And because I'm not worthy, and how could God even pay attention to me? And that's why we got to start here, right? I'm coming to a God, regardless of how I feel, who is my loving, caring Father, who is super interested, right? Who wants me to come with my hurt and brokenness and emptiness. And I'm not effective in prayer because I'm so spiritually together, but because God is my Father. That's where we start. Uh, so, so perhaps one of the real reasons we don't pray, one of the real reasons we neglect prayer is not so much because we don't think it's needed or because we don't really believe it works, but because we do not, we do not really understand who it is that we pray to and the kind of relationship we have with Him. Uh, I think if we spent more time focusing on God as our Father, we would be drawn to deeper and more effective prayer because we would know we're in the company of an almighty God who's interested and who cares. Uh, Second thing prayer does for us, though, it's it's about our relationship and it is super relational. (laughs) It's talking to God and hearing him speak back to us. Uh, But but the second thing that prayer is, is prayer helps us keep our priorities right. It helps us maintain our priorities or check our priorities. Uh, back in World War II, uh, uh, fighter pilots and, and pilots who were flying uh, planes and on combat missions in, in, the, in the war um, had this phenomenon happening that they didn't quite know what, what it was about. And what was happening is these planes were flying right into their targets. So they were on a bombing run, sometimes they would, or they would just crash, right? And they found out that, they, that the pilots had this thing called target fixation. The target fixation means they got so focused on the enemy, so focused on, on trying to shoot him down or on to drop the bombs on the right, right target, they, they would actually fly into the enemy. Or sometimes they would just forget to fly at all, and the plane would crash because they were forgetting to fly the plane. Right? Called target fixation. And it's, it's really a matter of having the right, the, having the wrong priorities. Right? Where you get so consumed with with, with one thing, you forget something that's much more important. And when you're flying a, a, a plane in combat, actually flying the plane, as it turns out, is more important than shooting down the enemy. Right? The goal is to shoot down the enemy, but you can't do that if you forget to fly your own plane. And so it's important to have the right priorities. Uh, life does not work well if our priorities out of, are out of whack. In fact, you will crash and crash often. 
And so what prayer does for us is it helps us align our priorities correctly. It helps us tend to the things that we need to tend to first. Uh, and, and it's not that other things are not important, but, but we get our priorities in the right order. Um, now, in, uh, it, it, the, the temptation for us as human beings is to put ourselves as the center of the universe. It is human nature, right? It, it becomes about my needs, my life, my wants, my problems, my circumstances. And it's super easy for these things to dominate our life. I mean, be honest, how many of you thought about yourselves already today? Right? You got up, went and looked in front of the mirror, and you looked at, at yourself, right? And you think, I've got to fix that. I've got to fix that self, right? I've got to get that self presentable, right? Uh, it's normal, right? Uh, and it's, it's in some ways a good thing. I mean, we are responsible for ourselves. Uh, but the problem is that in the worldly thinking, it goes like this. If I don't take care of myself, who will? If I don't stand up for my rights and push my own agenda, who will? And worldly speaking, in the sense of the world, they're right, right? Nobody else is going to do that for you. And Satan, who is the father of lies, certainly will not do that. Uh, He is the father of the world. And those who are depending on the world for their being are not going to get help and support from the people around them, ultimately. It is something you have to do for yourself. And so man becomes the center of the universe and I become the center of my world and the most important thing. But Jesus says it's not, it's not to be that way with us because we already know who we are. We are children of a different father. A father who we've already come to understand and affirm that he loves us and he cares for us. When I ask the question, who's going to take care of me? We already answered that, right? I have a father who's going to take care of me. And so my needs and, and, and my demands all of a sudden don't become so urgent. I can focus on something much more important. And we come to find that actually I'm not the center of the universe and I'm not the most important thing uh, out there. God is, right? God is the center. He is the most important thing and He must be the, the center of the world and He must be the center of our life. He comes first. And Jesus spells this out in three areas in which God must be priority. First, uh, we must seek the priority of His glory and His honor. Right? Uh, you, uh, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Uh, it's really unfortunate that the best word we can come up for this is the word hallowed. Because it sounds a lot like Halloween. And it's something that we would never use ever outside of the Lord's Prayer. Right? I don't remember ever saying to anybody, wow, that's like super hallowed. <laughs> right? Ah, okay. Right? Um, the word means to make something sacred or holy. And it's very close to the idea of to glorify something. Uh, glory is a noun. And it means the, the majesty and splendor of God. And we can take that noun and turn it into a verb by, by saying glorify so, so glorify means to make or show the majesty and splendor of God. It's really too bad we cannot do this with the word holy. Holy is the noun. It means God is set apart as sacred. He's of highest honor. He is not in any way everyday or common, but He is unique, one of a kind. In all of the universe, in all of creation, there is nothing like Him. He is holy. Right? What, what would be really helpful is if we could just use 
take that word and make it an, a verb. Holify, right? Does the English teacher right? Holify, right? Glorify, holify. So that would make it so much easier. But unfortunately, uh, to date, that's not a word in English. But I, I'm voting for it. Holify thy name, right? It means make it holy. Make it special. Make it unique. Make it sacred. And it really ultimately is a prayer that God would make himself known to the world in a way that displays his glory and majesty and splendor and power and greatness. Uh, to know who he really is as the creator of all things. With the result that people would honor him as holy and set apart and one of a kind. That's what it means to be sacred. It's not common ordinary. It's sacred. It's unique. It's special. The most special. Most worthy of honor and glory and praise and worship. And so it's a, pray, it's a prayer for God to make his name great. To make his glory shine. To make himself set apart. Right? Uh, and we pray that, not just generically, that God would do that other places, but it's a prayer that first and foremost He would do that in me, right? In my heart and mind, that God would reveal Himself to me as holy, and He would expand my vision of who He really is. Honestly, one of our greatest problems in our life is that our God is way too small, right? Our God is not almighty, majestic, holy, full of a sacred, right? Uh, we want him to be that way, and we have this theology that says he's that way, but in our experience, for honest, God is not like that. Right? That's not how we, we, we revere him. We often do not stand in awe of him uh, like we do coronavirus. Right? We stand in awe of that. Why don't we stand in awe of God, right? who's awesome? Uh, but we also pray that God would do that to others, that God would... Uh, to my friends and my family and the church, that he would, he would be increased in a sense of awe and wonder. That the sense of who he is would, would grow. That those living in darkness would see the glory of the holy God, whether it's in Thailand or other parts of Asia or around the world. But as we pray that prayer, uh, if we are thoughtful at all, we will consider, well, how does God do that? How is it that God makes his name great? How is it that he reveals himself? And we will come to the realization that often, and most, most often, he does that through us, his church, his people. Right? He, he shows who he is in our life. And so to ask God to uh, make his name holy, make his name great, means that it would be great through the way we live. We cannot pray this prayer and mean it and live in a way that dishonors Him. We should be horrified by things in our life that we do and say and the way we treat others that in any way rob Him of glory. And that should, that should jump us down a few things in the outline to confession. Right? We'll get there in a minute. Like, oh God, you know, sometimes I don't live for Your glory. It is not a priority in my life. It is not my consuming passion that I show the world around me your holiness. Wow, what a place to pray, right? God, make your name holy and great through my life. Um, make it a priority, the top priority of my life. Second, the priority of his kingdom. Your kingdom come. Uh, the kingdom, as we said, as we've seen earlier in Matthew, is, is essentially God's rule over all things. 
Now, we're not here praying that God would rule over all things as if he doesn't. Okay, As we said before, God is sovereign over all things. We don't, God doesn't need us praying for that, for like some kind of permission to, to rule over the universe. right? He's, he's in charge. Uh, so when we pray, thy kingdom come, we're not saying, God, would you please uh, you know, quit going on vacation and come back and like rule like you're supposed to. No, we're not praying that. right? Uh, the problem is that we, uh, and, and God in his sovereignty has given we as human beings rule over our life, right? And so God rules over all of creation. He rules over all of the universe, except in the hearts and lives of people who he's given the freedom to rule their own lives, right? And so God uh, has, been, uh, has been rejected, by and large, by humanity who have rebelled against him and turned away from him as their as their king, and they rule over their own life. And so uh, this is ultimately a prayer for God's saving work in the lives of rebellious lost people. Right? We're praying for God to reclaim and save and re, uh, restore to right relationship those who have rejected his rule over their life. Uh, to remove their hard and rebellious hearts and to give them faith to see Jesus and to understand his saving work on the cross. That's what this prayer is about. That we pray that people would be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Um, and of course, again, it's not just a generic prayer that God would do that out there, but that, that we would be people who are making his kingdom a priority. Uh, to seek first the kingdom of God. To pour my life into this kingdom of purpose of seeing people uh, come under uh, the lordship of Christ to uh, proclaiming the gospel, to proclaiming the way of salvation, and to, in our own lives, be transformed uh, so fully that we are living out kingdom principles. Um, and it is also a prayer for the final, uh, the final coming of his kingdom. It's not only a, a prayer for right now that I, would, that I would live out kingdom principles and see people drawn into his kingdom, but uh, we look around us and we see a world that's, that's a mess. Right? Uh, I don't think anybody right now in the world is going, you know, the world is like a super great place to be. Right? Um, <clears throat> it's full of problems, all kinds of problems. And we know that the answer is not, <clears throat> is not a vaccine. <clears throat> the answer is not a mask. <laughs> the answer is not a different government leader. The answer is Jesus to come and uh, destroy evil and set up a, his perfect uh, kingdom. <clears throat> so for Christians, we have hope for the day when Jesus returns. We have hope for the day when Jesus makes everything perfect and right and good. Uh, praying for his kingdom to come means we are not satisfied with life here and now, but we are looking for something much better uh, in the future. <clears throat> uh, third priority is the priority of his will. Uh, God's kingdom is ultimately his effective rule over people's lives. In other words, um, God's kingdom is God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, it means uh, God's will is being done in my life. And again, this doesn't mean we have to pray that God would be able to accomplish his purpose. God is sovereign, and believe me, God will. The question is, will I be in his will or outside of it? Right? Am I complying and conforming to his purpose and plan, or am I outside of it? So to pray for his will means that my life lines up with his plan and his program and his purpose. 
right? that I am coming under His rule. And not only me, but we as a church and our families and those we love and care for, that we would make His will uh, the priority of our life. Our own obedience, our own commitment to follow God, to give up my own goals and dreams and to uh, take on His. In order for this to happen, it is ultimately a prayer of trust. We will not give God control over our life until we believe and are convinced that God is good and that His plan is better than mine. Um, honestly, again, don't raise your hands, but honestly, how many of you are pretty convinced that your plan is actually better than God's? Because how could God really know what I want and need, right? And so we, uh, there's this battle, right, of giving God freedom and control over my life, of laying down my agenda and, and trusting that He is a good and loving Father whose plan is better. Right? It, is an, it is an act in prayer of faith that we trust His good plan. And we want to be, make sure we are in the center of it. Right? We are in the center of His will. And so prayer is, is that. Prayer, as we pray through these things, it is ultimately uh, focusing the priority of my life, not on my glory, but on God's glory. Not on building my kingdom, but on building His kingdom. Not on doing what I want, but doing what God wants and wills. Uh, so we see God as our Father. We, we check our priorities. Um, and, and thirdly, we, we check our attitudes. Uh, in these prayers, there are also some very key attitudes that are crucial for a successful Christian life, that are crucial for us to experience joy and blessing and peace. Um, and, and, and these are the, the, the attitudes. First, the attitude of surrender. When we look at these um, priorities of putting God first, of, of putting His glory first, His kingdom and His will, uh, we see that in order for that to happen requires for us a very different attitude than what is natural for us. What is natural for us is seeking my own kingdom and my own will. What is natural is holding on to my own control. Uh, we need a different attitude. And that attitude is one of, of surrender to God, of giving up ourself and submitting fully to His purpose and plan. And, and I, uh, the, the, this is how this works. You start praying through this, and if we're honest, if we're really reflecting on our heart when we pray these things, when I say, um, Thy will be done, uh, except, <laughs> or unless, or, well, what I mean is, like, I know what I want, and I pray that, that you would want what I want, right? That was kind of Jesus' prayer in the garden, right? Even Jesus wrestled with this. Um, Father, take this cup away from me. Yet, not, not what I will, but what you will. And even Jesus wrestled with, uh, and he succeeded. He did not sin, right? Whereas for us, far more often, I wrestle control back. And I do not surrender my life to Him. I do not really believe He is a good and loving Father who has my best interest in mind. And so as we pray these things, it is a check of the attitude, am I really surrendering everything to God? Am I really laying my life in His hands and trusting Him and surrendering all to Him and walking in full obedience to Him? This kind of prayer should be very self-reflective. 
um, where I am examining my heart. And I should be asking, honestly, God, show me where I'm all about my kingdom, where I'm all about my glory, and I'm not surrendering those things to you. Another attitude we need to check is the attitude of, uh, that we desperately need is the attitude of dependence. Dependence means that we are in desperate need of God's help in every area of life. And uh, in the next section of the prayer, he gives us three ways that we have dependence on God. Right, the first one is our daily bread. Um, we need uh, to be dependent on God for daily bread because we are finite and powerless. Okay, everybody say this together. I am finite and powerless. Ready? One, two, three. I am finite and powerless. Do you really believe that? No, you don't. <laughs> I don't either, right? And, and the thing is, we live in a world where we have, we have engineered life to make sure we are not finite and powerless, right? Um, daily bread is about food, but it really is about all that we need to live and do God's will and serve Him. Everything. Every imaginable need. But the way it works in our modern world is that we have so arranged our lives that we really feel we do not need God's help for our daily needs. We have huge storehouses of everything that we need. Right? We have we have macro and we have Big C and we have Costco and we have like we have storehouses of stashed up of stuff, everything except for apparently toilet paper. <laughs> apparently there's not enough toilet paper in the world, as it turns out. We'll get back to that one in a minute. Uh, you know, we don't get paid daily wages anymore. Right? And in Jesus' day, it was very common. Day laborers got paid daily. Most of us get paid you know, at least every couple of weeks, maybe every month. Uh, and beyond that, we have annual guarantees of income. Right? We, most of us wouldn't be here if all of our supporters and churches said, yeah, we're going to support you for a month, <laughs> and then we'll see. Right? No, no, we, we want long-term commitments. We don't, we don't have daily needs, or we feel that we don't have daily needs. We have insurance plans and savings plans and retirement plans where we hedge and protect ourselves. We have safety nets. And I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm not saying we should not have those things. But what I'm saying is it makes dependence on God very difficult because those things can become our trust. And we can live with the idea, I don't need, uh, I don't have daily needs. Because right? i got it covered. Right? I don't really have to depend on anyone or anything. That's the goal of all of this. And the world has got this down pretty well where they, they have the sense that I don't, I don't have to depend on anyone or anything. I am covered. But the, but the problem is that is all a grand illusion. Okay? It is a self-deception. Because we are finite be- beings. That means that we are extremely needy people. Uh, which by itself wouldn't be a problem. But the second part of that is that we are powerless, which means we are not in control of the world. right? We are not in control, even though uh, we've convinced ourselves we are. Uh, and, and so every, every once in a while, the, burble, burble, the bubble bursts. There we go, the burble bust. The, the bubble bursts. The, the, the delusion gets popped. And the world realizes they're not in control. 
Right? So there's a coronavirus that comes along and all of a sudden people realize we can't control that. <gasps> and what happens? It's awesome. The whole world goes into panic mode. This is awesome. Like I love watching this happen. The whole world has all of a sudden come to this realization, I'm finite and I'm not in control. Ah. It's like, I could have told you that. You know, I could have told you that before, right? You're living in an illusion. Right? You've deceived yourself thinking you've got it all covered. And so people scramble and they buy gazillions of masks and they quarantine themselves, lock themselves in their room and they consume gazillions of gallons of hand sanitizer, right? To get control! So we're going to be in panic mode, right? And, 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 and the beauty of this, I mean, here, here's the thing, you know, we realize, they realize how vulnerable they are and they panic. They could get sick. They could die. Because right? we are not in control. What's worse, you could get quarantined for 14 days and run out of toilet paper. <laughs> like, it couldn't get any worse than this, right? And, and there's panic mode. And you just see it all around. All of a sudden, like, like, all of a sudden, the realization hits them. And they can't deal with it, right? But this is where it's awesome. This is where prayer is great. Because here's the cure. We come to God every day and we go, God, I am helpless. I am not in control. Uh, my donors could all, and my supporters that support me monthly, they could all just evaporate in an instant. I've had that happen, right? There's no guarantees. And I'm not in control. But guess what? I'm coming to a Father who is in heaven where all the resources and storehouses of His wealth reside. Right? I don't need I don't need all these things. I don't need the storehouses of the world. I have a father who's promised to give me each day my daily bread. I don't have to panic because I already know I'm helpless and powerless and have tons of need. But I go to God in prayer and I am in prayer claim his promises. He's going to take care of me. He is going to provide. He has promised that he's going to that he's a good father who would not let his child starve to death. Do you believe that? Right? Or, or are you still trusting in the things of this world? Right? Uh, we, we, we need to affirm daily our dependence on God to provide for us, to take care of us with every single thing we need. And this gets a lot easier when, I, when our priorities are right. And this is why there's an order to this. God is Father first, who's sovereign in heaven, uh, setting our priorities right, that He is supreme and we should surrender to Him. And then it gets a lot easier to trust in His provision. Uh, D.A. Carson puts it this way, Consecration to God and His will gives wonderful liberty in prayer for temporal things. The whole earthly life is given to the Father's loving care. Right? When we know, hey, I've surrendered to God, I am doing His will, and God's not going to let one thing be missing from my life to, to accomplish His will and build His kingdom. Right? Then we turn to another uh, area of dependence, that of forgiveness. We need grace and forgiveness because we sin and fall short and fail. And we cannot remove our sin and our guilt by our own effort. Right? We need God because we are sinners. Uh, we are saved by grace, but it is through the blood of Jesus. Uh, and we still fail. 
we still fall short. Uh, we still fail to make Him the, the, the chief priority of our life. Right? Uh, we fail to make His name great. And we say things that dishonor Him. Uh, we live in relationships where we're not showing God's love as, as Jesus described earlier where we talked about our righteousness exceeding that of the Pharisees. Right? We lust and we hate our enemies and we do not serve. Uh, the season of Lent. Uh, a lot of people don't really know what Lent is about. Lent is about recognizing our need for grace and forgiveness so that when we come to celebrate Easter, Good Friday and Easter, we know we need the cross. Right? Um, we need God's grace and forgiveness because we are sinners. But God has promised in Jesus to let the blood of Jesus flow upon us and cleanse us from sin. Right? Uh, third thing goes on from, from, uh, from our need for forgiveness to our need for protection. Uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. Uh, we need protection because we are weak and because we are helpless. Because we are so easily led into sin. Um, there's a lot of confusion about this phrase, lead us not into temptation, as if God would lead us into temptation. It's like, this a, is this really a, a problem? Like with God, like, I'm going to show you. Um, this is, a, this is uh, a literary technique, which I can't pronounce what it's called, but it, it, the, the principle is uh, stating a positive thing by negating its opposite. Stating a truth by negating its opposite. So in other words, when he says, lead us not into temptation, what he's praying for is that God would lead us into righteousness. The opposite of righteousness is temptation and evil. But his prayer really is that God would lead us, would direct us into doing the right things, into resisting evil, into resisting Satan. Um, and and this, this is something we must pray, pray because we, we cannot do this on our own. Right? We desperately need God's help we must depend on Him to walk in, in rightness. Right? We cannot overcome sin on our own. Amen? I've tried. I've tried. I cannot do it apart from God's help. Uh, His empowering. Right? So those are the attitudes of dependence. Uh, we need God's provision. We need God's forgiveness and grace. We need God's protection and help to walk in, in rightness. And then last of all, is actually it's part of the prayer, but he highlights and, and explains it further after the prayer, uh, the attitude of grace. It's very interesting. Of all the things that Jesus prayed, even the priority ones, the thing that he goes back and gives a comment on, that he, that he gives extra interpretation, is not God's glory, not his kingdom, uh, not our daily bread. It is what? It is this thing about forgiveness and grace. Right? Verse 14, what does Jesus say? If you forgive others their trespasses or their sins, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And that was the prayer, right? Forgive us our debts as we, for, as we have forgiven those who... Uh, are debtors to us. What is that about? Uh, it is about the attitude or being people of grace. Uh, and it is interesting that Jesus highlights this one. Um, 
Now, there's some theological problems here. Does this, is Jesus saying here that uh, if you don't forgive others, God will never forgive you? In other words, are you losing your salvation over this? Um, it could be taken that way. Like, if you don't forgive others, God is not going to forgive you. And if your sins are not washed away, you cannot enter the kingdom. You cannot enter heaven. Well, some people argue, no, of course, that can't be true, <laughs> we hope. Uh, and, and I would affirm. Uh, some say, well, it's actually a sign that you haven't really even been saved. Like people who don't, who cannot forgive others, it's a mark that they've never experienced God's saving work in their own life. The problem with that argument is that he says very clearly, your father will not forgive you. And Jesus only uses that term in Matthew of people who are truly God's uh, children. Right? And so he says to people, your father will not forgive you. So, uh, so what is this about? Does that mean we could go into heaven and have our sins not forgiven? Well, well, no, right? But just like God's kingdom and God's will exist in heaven in a different uh, way than they exist on earth, so does forgiveness. Uh, Jesus' blood wipes out our sin in heaven. And so we stand before God in his throne holy and blameless, no matter what. But our earthly experience can be different. right? We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can sin and uh, have those, those sins in an earthly sense not forgiven. Right? That's why John, uh, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's not talking here about salvation. He's talking about the daily mess-ups that require forgiveness and confession. I'm sorry, they require confession in order for us to, to experience here in this life the cleansing of forgiveness. And what's at stake here? Well, what's at stake here are relationships. Right? When, when, uh, when Denise and I get in a fight, which happens like about once every 25 years, okay, I lied. When we have a disagreement, we, we hurt each other, right? There's a need for, for, for confession and forgiveness. And until that happens, there's stress in our relationship. It doesn't mean we're divorced. It doesn't mean we're not married anymore. But that relationship is not what it should be. Well, so it is in our relationship with God and with each other. And if we do not confess our sins, uh, God, uh, there's that sin still affecting our relationship with him. And here's the reality. We should be a people who uh, understand our desperate need for His grace and forgiveness in our life. Like, like if we're honest about how we fail and how much we need His grace, we should be a people who are overwhelmed by His grace in our life. And once we've been overwhelmed by the sense of His grace in our life, the point is we should, not, we should be a people who are overflowing with grace to others. So we should check our attitude. Are we being people of grace? Or are we bitter? Are we resentful? Are we holding on to the wrongs that people have done against us? If so, uh, the the cure is to to look uh, at the log that's in our own eye. Is to reflect on our own failures and realize our desperate need for God's grace. And his generosity as a father in forgiving us. Let's pray.
our Father who, who is in heaven. Lord, we come to you in awe of who you are. Uh, and we come as your children who uh, need your love and your grace. And Lord, we, we pray that, that your name would be made great among us in our lives, in our church, in our ministries, in our families, or that your glory would shine and people all around would see the wonder of who you are by how we live our life. Lord, may we be com- people committed to building your kingdom, to spreading the good news and making disciples. Lord, may your will be done in our life day by day. And may it be our great priority uh, to lay aside our own agenda and to take up your great purpose and plan, which is infinitely better. And Lord God, we, we, we re- recognize we need you. We are so dependent on you for our very breath and for holiness and for uh, forgiveness, um, for doing the right thing. Lord, we need your help. And so we call out and ask, Lord, that you would help us live the life you call us to as your children. And Lord, help us be people of grace. People who are surrendered to you. People who love you. People who are filled with grace toward others. Even our enemies. We pray in Jesus' precious name. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Thank you.